The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, if I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, my name is Ryan, one of the pastors on staff. Just want to say welcome, stoked that you are here. And if you're joining us online, I want to say welcome as well, as we have a great day in store for you as we continue in a message series that we began last week entitled Level Up. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to pull those out. Uh, we're going to be jumping in uh, right where Nick kind of left off last week. In fact, we're going to do uh, a little uh, cover that uh, shortly as well. It's Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 11, 1. Or if you've got that smartphone uh, with you and you want to follow along in that Bible app, you can do that as well. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. As you're turning there, I want to give a quick explanation on uh, what this level up means in case you missed last week. Week. The idea of level up, and of course you can see it by the bumper uh, and the graphic, is based on video games. And some of you are like, video games, Ryan? Really? In church? Like, what are we doing here? So let me explain this really quick. Nick started last week by explaining that when he was a kid, his parents got him the Nintendo Entertainment System, right? The OG, original Nintendo. We're talking Tech Mobile. Okay, we're talking Mario and Duck Hunt. We're talking Excite Bike, and my favorite, which was Contra. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. BA, select, start. Gives you 30 lives to start with, all right? Still works to this day, okay? Um, and so the idea uh, that we're using here is in video games, typically, not every video game is the same, but most of them follow a basic premise. And the premise is when you start in level one and you make your way through the game, things get increasingly more difficult, right? It's easiest at the beginning and it's hardest at the end. And each level you go up, it gets more difficult. Now, I want to take it into the 21st century, okay? I'm not going to use a specific game, but unlike Mario and like Mario, games today, especially first-person role-playing games, adventure games, shooter games, sneaker games, not only do the levels get harder as you go through the game, but your person your character that you're playing levels up as you go through the game. You gain experience points, right? Your character gets stronger, you get faster, right? You learn as you go and your character levels up as well as the game levels getting more difficult as you go. And you have, as you go through the game, it's opened up to more tools and resources and weapons that help you as you face the increasingly more difficult situations and bosses of games. Are we tracking so far? Does that make sense? All the young people are like, I'm right there with you, Ryan. I know that not all of us are gamers, but hang, okay? Hang with me for a moment. The idea as we jump into life is no, life isn't a video game, but like video games, the obstacles that we face in life as we go through life and we get older get more difficult, don't they? Right? When we were kids, there was a certain level of things that we faced that were earth-shattering at the time, but we look back on those as adults and go, and I hear my parents' voice still in my ears from when I was in elementary school. Ryan, in fact, I also now, like they promised I would, I say the same things they said to my kids, what they said to me, which is like my daughter, you know, one of my kids, you know, I could give them a, a, a chore they need to do, and life is a meltdown. And it's like, it's five minutes, and they think it's like five hours, right? And I say, like my parents said to me, Listen, life's going to get a whole lot harder for you, okay? There's a lot bigger things you're going to have to wrestle with than this five-minute chore or your homework or whatever it is, right? But we get this. Like a video game, as the levels get increasingly more difficult as we go through life, our life obstacles get more difficult from childhood into uh, adolescent years, into teenage years, and into adult years. I think we track with that. And not only, practically speaking, do we level up, right? Do we, uh, on a practical level, learn to deal with things? We become more, more mature, Right? We, we, we have life experience that helps us deal with things, but there's also a spiritual level as well. Right? And this is what Nick hit on last week. And so I also need to give us a basic foundation coming out of last week in case you missed it, because this comes right off the heels on the subject of faith 
which is what Nick talked about out of Hebrews 11 last week, that on a spiritual level, you and I, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we um, are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're able to operate at a whole new level when we face life's obstacles than those that haven't found Jesus yet, right? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like a whole toolkit and treasure chest of different tools and resources and weapons are at our disposal as we engage the ever more difficult obstacles that we face in life. And so because I wanna jump right off this, I had you turn there. I wanna read a few of the passages that Nick read and continue on as we jump out of this idea of faith. But in case you missed it, let's read this together. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. I need to stop for a moment. Every time I read this passage of scripture in that verse, I hear, and some of you might hear it as well, is the great Billy Graham's you know, message when he talks about, have you ever seen the wind? I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. He's reading out of this passage of scripture, right? We see the trees blow and the leaves go, but have you ever seen the wind? It's, it's talking about believing in something that you actually can't see. And in verse two, I love this too. It says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And what the author of Hebrews is mentioning and referring to is the greats of old that we read throughout scripture, right? The legends, and they start to list a few of them here. Verse three says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Verse four, we get our first ancient mentioned, the first legend. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And what that means is, man, his message of this idea of bringing to God what he's called us to bring, because that story is a whole other message for another day that I wish I had time to preach, but I don't because it'll change your life, is the idea of bringing to God, one brother brought one thing, one sacrificed and worked way harder and brought something else, but it wasn't what God had commanded, right? And so Abel was commended for his faith to obey what God had commanded. Verse five, by faith, Enoch, another ancient, another legend, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you've got your Bible or some, something, you need to underline that, you need to highlight that, you need to circle that to remember it for later. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Verse seven, another legend, another ancient. By faith, Noah when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Here's another legend, another ancient, verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And by faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made that promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he, as good as dead, because he was 100 years old at this time, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
This is a springboard moment because these two things go hand in hand as the topic of faith. And we've just heard about some of the ancients that were commended for their faith. But what comes today and what we talk about is a topic we've talked about before, but it's just as prevalent and needed to discuss today as it is at any point in time in history is the topic of fear. Right? With fear comes worry and anxiety. But with faith, we can operate at a higher level, right? When we face these obstacles, when these things come our way, because we've got somebody who is on our side. We serve a God who is completely able to do the impossible. And as we look at each of the ancients just mentioned, all we're getting is cliff note versions referred to by the author of Hebrews. But if you go back to Genesis, their stories are verses and chapters long. And in essence, we get to hear the end product of the verses that we just read, that by faith they did this and inherited this and saw this. But when you read the passages, what did they face? Every single one of them, situations of fear, situations of the unknown, situations that, like many of us that we face in our life, could have caused them to be paralyzed and not take a step forward. And we know that fear is not a new problem, right? This isn't something that's just come on the scene in the last you know, century or so. Right? Fear and the opportunity for fear has been in existence since the beginning of time. In fact, for us, we, we know that fear has been a part of our lives since we were young, right? Like we, we could go only as far back as to our childhood. Okay, some of you are going to have to go back a little bit farther this morning than others in this room, okay, to get to your childhood, right? But we could go back to childhood, and there's fears, childhood fears, right? Well, what are some of the common childhood fears? Afraid of the dark, okay? Right? I, I remember that I had a real fear of the first day of school when I was in elementary school, right? Right, that idea, hey, it's the night before, and I got, I've laid out what I'm going to wear, right, and I'm worried, like, what, you know, who's going to sit at my lunch, and who am I going to sit with? It's, it's not like high school when you were able to drive and go be with your friends all summer long and just kind of pick up the first day of school. This is like, you haven't seen anybody in three months, and now you're going to school for the first day, right? That, for me, was a childhood fear. I was always worried, right? Other childhood fears, acceptance and rejection, all of those things. Let me give an example of a real childhood fear in my family's life right now. Many of you know that I have three kids. My uh, daughter is my oldest. She's 10, going on 16, so that's fun. Uh, no, she's, she's awesome, uh, but the emotions are real, people. The struggle is real, okay? Uh, she's amazing. My youngest is Cade, and he's five, and then my middle boy, Cole, is eight. And a lot of people that know us and our family refer to him as my mini-me, okay? He looks just like me, and he acts just like I acted when I was a kid. Uh, but Cole's got a real childhood fear right now. And my wife and I joke about it, you know, when we're alone and at night and we talk about stuff. We don't do it in front of him. We don't want to make him feel bad. But his real childhood fear right now is he's afraid that we're going to leave him alone. Now, this is an unfounded fear, people. Okay, I'm a good parent. We're good parents. There's, we haven't left him somewhere. Okay? We haven't left him somewhere. But he's got this fear. Like, this is how it plays out. Like, I could be home, and Adrian, maybe she's gone working or something. I could be home with the kids. And at any given time, they could be up in their room playing. They could be playing the Wii. They could be watching TV. I'm just doing my stuff. I take the garbage outside, and I close the front door behind me. It's 20 steps to my garbage can. And by the time I turn around, wherever he was in the house, he has heard that door close, and he is down, and his head is out the door. Dad, Dad, where are you going? Where are you going, Dad? I'm like, buddy, I'm just taking the garbage out, man. You're good. You're fine. I'm not leaving you, Okay. Now, here's another way it plays out. My wife has said this one has happened to her. Maybe I'm, I'm gone and she's at home. Is like she went into the garage. And like many of us, you know, uh, the garage door is, you know, got those little hinges that make it close. So it, it kind of slams every time. You can hear it no matter where you are in the house when it closes. And we've got a freezer in the garage. And she went to get something. And literally 10 seconds later, no matter where he is in the house, the door is open. And he said, Mom, where are you going? Mom, Mom, where are you doing? Where are you going? Right? He has a real fear that we're going to leave him alone. And I asked him the other day, I said, Cole, what? 
Why are you so afraid? Like, what, what, what's causing you to be afraid? Mom, Dad aren't going to leave you. We've never left you somewhere, you know? And he's like, well, I'm just afraid. Like, well, I mean, his mind is starting to go. Like, he's starting to get to that age where he's like, well, how would I eat? And who would take care of me? And how would I get anywhere if you guys left, right? Now, we laugh because it's kind of funny, right? But this is a real childhood fear for him. We also know this. Our fears that we face don't stop in childhood, do they? No, there's new ones as we move into adolescence and as we move into our teenage years. And as we move into our college and adult years, and they, it just keeps going. It's still real for you and I today. To be honest with you, there are some of us in this room that call the Grove Church home, that live in Marysville. There's individuals that live in Washington State, individuals that live in this country who are facing real, just practical, situational fears of what's culturally going on right now, right? There are some people who are living and, and were worried and living in fear, not, not necessarily overwhelmed everybody by that, but real fears like what's gonna happen in our country, right? There's real fears about what's gonna happen with our economy. There's individuals that are facing a real fear of COVID. And, and I know that we're all in a different place in, in what we think about that, and I get that, and, and I understand that we're all in different spots for that, but there are some real families that I've walked through, I know, in our church and just in my personal life who have lost a loved one to it right, who, who have somebody close to them, maybe just removed friends of family, something like that, where it's real for them, and there's a fear of the actual disease. There's some that a step farther from that are, are, are in fear of what COVID means. In fact, we know that statistics in, in the news right now is saying that, you know, there's an uptick in cases, and there's supposed to be some kind of announcement today from the governor, and there's real fear over what that's going to mean mandate-wise, and are we going to go back into lockdown, and some of us walk through a really rough season of not being able to work and worry about food and mortgage payments and all. I mean, fear is real. For some of us, it's not just the situational things that are happening right now, but it's the things that uniquely we share that we come into contact with that we have to face fear-wise every single day. Things like the fear of not being good enough. There are individuals who are fearful that they are not a good enough mom. They're not a good enough dad. They're not a good enough employee. A fear of not being a good enough significant other and a fear that this person is gonna break up with me because I must not be good enough. There's some of us because of our past and things that have been done to us and said to us where we don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we are good because lots of people in our lives have told us that we're not and so we feel that we are not of value. Here's another one that can be faced at any given time by any of us, right, is the fear of not being accepted. It doesn't stop when you're a child, right? All of us wanna be accepted and have people who love us and are for us, right? But there's always that fear. Here's another one, it's a big one, it's a fear of failure, it's something that so many of us never take a step of faith or a leap of faith to do something, uh, take, a, take a stab at a dream that we have or a, something we'd like to do because we're afraid of failing. Fear immobilizes many of us to inaction. I want to say that again. Fear immobilizes many of us to inaction. And here's the power of fear. Let me paint you a picture. I'm sure that all of us have either read articles, seen stories, or watched an interview on TV or YouTube or Facebook or something like that where there was an interview with somebody who's famous. Could be an actor or an actress. Could be an athlete of some kind. Could be somebody who's made it big and they've started their own business or, or, or spearheaded away where they're famous now and they're telling their story of the process from when they were young and what they went through until they kind of broke on the scene, Right? And, and nine times out of 10, we've heard these stories and they'll say, man, failure was a part of my story. 
And, and along the line, you know, as an actor, I went in to audition after audition after audition. They kept saying, no, you're not good enough. No, you're not pretty enough. No, you're not this. No, you're not right. And, and at times, they'll often say, man, I was ready to give up. But I kept going in the process. And obviously, if they're being interviewed, they made it some way, right? And this individual is like, but, or it could be an athlete, same story. Or it could be an entrepreneur of a business, same story. And in the end, nine times out of 10, they say, man, failure was actually a key ingredient that led to success. Now, when we hear these stories, and I see heads nodding, we've seen these things where they say, man, had I not gone through it, it created such a resolve in me to have to you know, go through that process. It taught me something, it helped me grow, it helped expand, whatever it is. And we hear that, and we see the success story, and we'll also hear some of these incredible motivational quotes. Let me give you a few that I'm sure you've heard when it comes to fear. How about this one? Fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. You've probably heard this motivational quote when it comes to fear of failure. Don't let failure of what could happen make nothing happen. How about this one? A man's prison, a woman's prison is the fear that he or she won't face. We'll hear the case studies. We'll hear the interviews. You'll hear them say, don't let fear stop you. And yet, this is the power of fear. Many of us in our lives have still been unwilling and we've been immobilized by fear. Well, we won't take that step of faith. We won't put ourselves out there to try that new thing, to change that job. But yeah, but if I take this job and we move, what, what will that mean? And what could this happen? We, we play this game out. The fear of failure is a real thing. And the reason why fear is so powerful, especially when it comes to failing, it's as if somehow, regardless of the stories that we hear and those case studies and those motivational quotes and all of those things, somehow deep within us, it's almost as if what we believe is that if we were to fail at something, that somehow makes us a failure. There's a difference between I tried this thing and I failed at it. Some of us feel that even taking that step once, if it doesn't work, that somehow that makes you as an individual a failure, and that's just not true. It's part of our code as a church. We're going to pray hard. We're going to try new things. We're going to learn as we go. I'm not afraid to fail. We've tried some things that fell flat and didn't work. I'm okay with that. We've tried some things that were pretty crazy and they worked out pretty well. But the fear... A failure is real for many of us every single day. The presence of fear has been around since the beginning of time. In fact, the greats, just some of the legends that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, all faced, if we read their full stories, of course we don't have time for that today, faced real situations of fear. It wasn't easy for them, but through faith, which we jumped out of last week in that topic, they were able to operate at a higher level of understanding, of spirituality, to understand that there's something else bigger at play. Abel, Enoch, and Abraham. Let me give you a few others. How about Moses? Moses, God comes to him and speaks to him through a burning bush and says, I want you to go to the most powerful nation, the most powerful leader in the world, and I want you to tell them to let the Israelites go out of captivity. Most powerful man on the planet at the time, thought he was a god. That's real fear. In fact, he's so full of fear, Moses has an, an exchange with God back and forth, like, hey, you got the wrong guy. Hey, man, I'm slow to speech. You got the wrong guy, right? This is real fear. They're running away out of Egypt, and they see that the army has changed their mind and is after them to kill them. That's real fear. There's a moment when they stand at the dead end, which is the Red Sea, and God ends up parting it and does this miracle to walk through, but there was real fear in that moment. How about, Adam, uh, I'm sorry, how about David? David faced real fear. He's one of my favorite characters in Scripture. 
Right? There's real fear the moment that he shows up on the scene to bring his brother's lunch on the battlefield as the Israelites are on one side of a, a valley and their arch nemesis, uh, uh, the Philistines, are on the other side and this giant Philistine comes out, nine foot tall, bread born warrior, and he, and he mocks and he taunts the Israelites and David ends up being there, right? That's real fear. Like we use it as a line these days. In fact, I was just watching Rocky. I got a buddy of mine who his favorite uh, movie series is Rocky. Um, I don't know what your favorite is. He would argue with me. Mine's four. Okay, Rocky four. The Soviet, right? Yeah, he thinks it's one. He's sitting here in the front row, right? But there's a moment where we use this idea of David and Goliath as a punchline. In fact, if you watch Rocky four, as they stand together in the rings, you know, they come up to touch gloves and, and have them read, you know, the guy comes and does all the stuff in the middle of the ring. The, the announcer on the side ring, I don't know if you can go back and watch it, but he literally says, it's a literal David and Goliath situation. Well, that comes out of David facing an impossible situation in Goliath. There's real fear. How about David when later on when he's uh, basically in the employment of Saul and he's working for Saul, who's the king of Israel at the time, and Saul becomes jealous, starts throwing spears at him, and basically David has to run for his life. He's living in caves because the army is after him to try to get him because Saul's so jealous that David's been anointed to be the next king. In fact, he ends up befriending and, and hanging out with that same arch nemesis that stood across that valley from the Israelites in the Philistines? That's real fear. How about the disciples? I mean, they did incredible things with Jesus. They walked with him. He said things of the Great Commission after he was crucified, resurrected, and before he leaves and ascends to heaven, he gives them the Great Commission. He gives us the Great Commission, but to them he says, you're gonna go and preach the gospel, make disciples to the very ends of the earth, and you're gonna do things even greater than I've done before because the Holy Spirit is coming to fill you up. And we know that miracles took place. They prayed for people and healed people and the dead was raised and all of that. But they faced a real fear, like real persecution. Like they faced like being you know, beheaded. They faced being tortured. They, be, you know, they faced being captured, right? A little bit stronger than having to wear masks every single day, right? They faced real stuff, real fear of their life being taken. How about Paul? Paul's such a great example, maybe in one sense, because like the majority of the New Testament is, is about Paul and he wrote it, right? So he's a huge case study that we can watch. But these individuals were commended for their faith in the midst of the fear that they faced. Paul knew what his mission was. He was interrupted on the road to Damascus. Jesus talks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? He has this moment of change and this moment of direction and purpose for his life. And he has all these missionary journeys. I love it in Acts 21. It's a great example. In Acts 21, Paul has been through a lot. He's been in shipwrecks. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been in prison. But there's this idea that this prophet comes to, to Paul and to the group that is with him. And they basically, this prophet Agabus takes Paul's belt off of him. And he gives this prophecy and he wraps his own hands with it and binds him up. And he, and he basically, in a paraphrase, says, to the owner of this belt, this is what's going to happen if you go to Rome. You're gonna be handed over to the authorities. And I love what happens out of this because everybody around Paul, and, and I think it mirrors, I wanna make a transition here, to a misconception on this topic of faith that I think many of us have because my fear as a pastor is that we've got believers in Jesus, especially in Western culture, not just our church, certainly that's included, but overall where we have a certain level of faith and what we've heard taught about faith, but we're missing the full rounded mature faith because many of us are looking for God to rescue us. And you've heard us preach messages which are true, that you serve the God of the impossible. 
Whatever you're facing, believe in him. And he has the power to come in and heal. He has the power to come in and open up a door of opportunity. He has the power to come and redeem back what's been broken and stolen. He has the power to come and forgive you for the sins of what you've done, which is all true. But we get into this Western culture mindset that that must mean that God will always heal, he'll always rescue, and he'll always save. Talk about Paul for a moment, where I just left you a few minutes ago. Many of us in that moment would have thought what the people around Paul thought. Paul, God is warning you not to go. This is a warning to save you. He sent this prophet to give you this message to save you to not go to Rome. What's Paul's response? Paul is operating at a higher level of spiritual maturity than even those around him. Because God has spoken to him, because he's been close to him, because he spends time and his whole life is wrapped around the right things, which is this bigger perspective of eternity, when those friends tell him that, which many of us as friends would try to say that to our friends as well because we think we're just supposed to encourage and God always wants to save you, what does Paul say? What are you doing to me? He says to them, he says, you're breaking my heart. He goes, this is not a message of warning for me not to go to Rome. I am ready and I am willing to go to my death for what God has called on my life. This is not a warning, this is a confirmation. God sent that prophet, but many of us, we just think through only the lens of God, will you save me, will you rescue me, will you heal me? Yes, he can do those things, but mature faith comes full circle to the other side, and I wanna say it like this, because it's the best way that I could say it, because I think there's a misconception for some of us. Faith is not about everything turning out okay. It's about being okay when it doesn't. Church, I wanna tell you, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, there was a moment because out of my seven siblings, I'm the pastor. And somehow in me, I felt like if I could just get down there, if I could just be in his room, if I could just pray and fast, if I could just believe for this miracle, and I believed. And I prayed like crazy. And it wasn't easy. I'm, I'm obviously now standing a year or two removed from that. So it was a process that I went through. But if my faith, if our faith ends only if God saves, only if he heals, only if he rescues, we're operating at level one when really we're called to operate at a much higher level because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I mean, you look at the disciples, every single one of them was martyred, killed, tortured for the faith, save except for Judas who committed suicide because he betrayed Jesus, and John, who's the only one to survive, and yet he was tortured as well in some pretty crazy ways, and eventually exiled to Patmos, which is where we get some of his writings, specifically Revelation. These individuals believed in Jesus, but not only to the point that they would be rescued, or their comfort, or their ease of life. They left their families, dropped everything they had, and followed him. Paul was willing to go to Rome where he knew he was supposed to go. He knew how it ended, but his faith was at a much higher level. All the disciples were martyred and tortured. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, and ultimately killed, but each had a higher level of faith toward the ultimate goal that higher understanding that eternity was what was at stake, which is far greater in value than even our earthly lives. So what does that mean for you and I today? I know this isn't a super fun, yeah, rah, rah, we feel great, encouraged as we leave message. 
but I love you enough that I want to encourage all of us, myself included in this, to aspire to have a higher level, a biblically, spiritually mature level of faith, not this earthly Western culture. I go to church because he's gonna save me, he'll give me money, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll prosper here, and that's what I'm supposed to do, and everything will always go well. That's just not what it is. Do we pray? Absolutely. Does not change the fact that you pray like crazy for the miracle that you need and for what you're facing. But mature faith on the other side of that is a full understanding that it's not about that everything's always gonna turn out okay. It's about being okay even when it doesn't. And so my question for every single one of us today is where is your faith at? What kind of faith, this is just you and God. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna parade you up on stage and make you admit it to everybody out here. I just want you to be real with God in your heart. Where and what level of faith are you operating at? Are you just beginning the game, level one? Are you somewhere in the middle where you've been through some stuff and you've learned some stuff? Do you have faith? Do we have a faith that believes for the impossible but trusts that God sees so much bigger? Last thing I want to leave you with and I want to pray for you is another interesting point that I think is crucial for us to understand. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, David, Moses, Noah, the disciples, Paul, all had one thing in common. When they believed in faith, what was it based in? God had spoken to them. It's critical. If we're going through life right now trying to make the best decisions we can for our life, but it's not based in saying, God, I need to hear from you. God, I need your promise. Abraham was able to stand on the promise of a son that he had always wanted because he knew that God was faithful, but God said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. David, I'm anointing you as king to overcome and do something incredible. I placed a mantle on you. Noah, I know people are ridiculing you and telling you that you're crazy and you're nuts and your family's ridiculous and they mock you when they see you building this ship, but there is rain that is coming. To the disciples, it's gonna get tough for you. There is gonna be persecution. But there's something bigger that you're living for. Paul, God had spoken. And when God speaks, you can stand on it no matter what. But here's the key. Are you in tune with what God is saying to you? Are you spending time in the scripture? Are you saying, God, show me where I'm off. Show me where I'm in the pursuit, the pursuit of Christian Western culture pursuits, which is I come to church and I can sing really well, or I'm doing this, or I'm checking off the box of just what I'm supposed to do for this week, and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not as bad as this person down the road or across the street from me, so I must be okay. That doesn't matter. What is God saying to you? Because some of us are living in this idea of, God, you're letting me down because I'm acting in faith over this thing when he's saying, you're going the wrong way. This is not what I'm speaking to you. It starts with him speaking. And when we find that thing, we can trust it and stand on it, even if it leads to a place where we're not rescued and we're not healed because it's for the greater good and the greater purpose. That is fully mature faith. That's the kind of faith I want. I don't know what kind of faith you want, but that's the kind of faith I want for you because then when you face these things, you're like, huh, this economy thing, I'm not making little of any of this. I'm not trying to belittle it. I'm just trying to be real with you. Man, this fear of if I'm gonna fail, this fear of what's gonna happen, or if this fear, this fear, this fear, it's kind of like what we do now when we look back to the funny little fears that kids have of the dark. Fear that we're gonna be left alone. 
fear that somebody at our school might make fun of the shoes that we have on. As we mature, those things become less and less. As adults, as we mature in our faith, some of the things that we face is like, you know what? If it doesn't go well, God's still in control, and I'm with him, and I'm for him. It doesn't matter what it means for my life. I'm on path with him, and that's what matters. Let me pray for you today. God, this is not a fun message. This isn't a rah-rah, let me encourage everybody. This isn't like, oh, God, this is real life. Rubber meets the road. Monday morning when work is tough and the bills are high and sickness comes and diagnoses are given. God, this is real stuff. And I'm praying for each person in this room that God, that they would come home today, tonight, tomorrow in their devotional time and ask the question, God, where is my faith? At what level am I operating at? because I wanna be where Paul was. I wanna be where the disciples were. I wanna have a mindset on things that are higher than here. And if I'm missing it anywhere, God, reveal it to my heart. Like like David said, search my heart. God, reveal to me, create a, a, a right spirit within me. Show me any place in my heart that is not on track with you. And God, I pray as we pray those prayers as individuals, as couples, and as families, that God, you would answer as they pray and ask questions like Moses, like Abel, like David like the disciples, like Paul. God, would you speak? Who am I? What have you created me for? And then God, that you would be real and that you would speak. And in that place, when you speak, that we would have the faith to take a step, to take a leap, to trust you. God, we wanna have a faith like the ancients, like the legends. We wanna be commended. We give our hearts to you. We want to be real with you. Speak to us. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.